Why would a good God allow so much evil and so much suffering in the world? It seems the news always features suffering. Wars are being waged, mostly by selfish, evil people. Crime is rising. Disease epidemics sweep the world. Millions live in grinding poverty. Hatred and violence are increasing between fellow citizens. Innocent people are hurt and killed every day. Why doesn't God stop all that? The short answer is this. God has given us free will. We're free to choose how we'll act and what we'll do. We like that freedom. We wouldn't want to give it up. But that freedom comes at a price. Everyone makes mistakes. And some people use their freedom to do evil to others. They cause suffering. The good news is God's promise that one day he'll put a final end to evil and suffering. It says at the end of the Bible, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. God himself explains the story of evil and suffering in his word, the Bible. And it is a story. It has a beginning, a middle, where we are now, and that wonderfully happy ending. If you give me just a few minutes, I'll show you that encouraging and reassuring story. Why would a good God allow evil and suffering? When I was 19 years old, I volunteered to work in a refugee camp in the Golden Triangle area of northern Thailand. It was an adventure, and I had some fun. But I was working with refugees, and that was often heartbreaking. These Hill Drive villagers had fled their homes under the communist government across the Mekong River in Laos. I taught them English and Western survival skills they would need in the U.S., Canada, Australia, or France. They wouldn't go back to their homeland. I sat with them in their bamboo huts behind barbed wire, and they told me their stories of war, hunger, exposure. They all knew people who had died violently and before their time, often parents or other family members. Why? Later, as a young pastor in Europe, standing in front of hundreds of stunned teenagers, I officiated at the funeral of a 15-year-old who had been hit by a drunk driver and killed in the street in front of her house. She hadn't done anything wrong, so why her? Now I work frequently in sub-Saharan Africa, where I see malnourished children, people in pain with no pain medication, hungry people on the edge of starvation, and unscrupulous dictators living in palaces. Why? Why do bad guys get rich and good guys starve? I'm sure there's suffering and encounters with evil in your life. Why doesn't God prevent that? Why you? It's called the problem of evil and has troubled people from time immemorial. The Greek philosopher Epicurus, who lived in the 300s BC, is quoted as saying this, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he's malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then whence comes evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? Why indeed? Evil and suffering are all around us, even in the most comfortable places in the world. 
I said before, the Bible tells the story of evil and suffering. So let's start at the beginning. Where did evil begin? First, we must note that the Bible speaks of a time when evil and suffering did not exist. God and the Word, the one who became Jesus Christ, lived for eternity in the past in perfect harmony. We read about that in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Also, at some point in the distant past, God created angels, spirit beings, not limited by matter, space, and time as we are. The angels were created not like robots programmed only to follow orders, but with the freedom to choose how they would act, whether they would obey God or not, just like we are. They could freely decide whether they would live by love and concern for others, as God does, or choose to live selfishly, just take what they wanted. One especially powerful angel is named in Hebrew Hillel, which means light bringer or morning star. But we usually use the Latin translation of his name as it's found in the King James Bible. That name is Lucifer. The Bible explains that at some point, Lucifer rebelled against God, and he convinced other angels to join his rebellion. The Bible says you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, and that word is sometimes translated moving about, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. That was the very first sin ever. Sin, simply stated, is breaking God's law of love. The whole point of the law of God is to express love, both toward God and toward our fellow human beings. The Apostle Paul wrote, Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So this point, when Satan turned away from love and from God, when he committed the first sin ever, that's when evil and hatred, in this case hatred toward God, came to exist. They had never existed before that moment. At that point, Lucifer became the adversary of God. That's what the word Satan means, adversary. His rejection of God was by his own free choice. God had made him perfect when he was created. But as Lucifer conducted his assigned responsibilities, he became hostile to God. Pride led him to turn against and to attack his perfect creator. Here's the Bible's explanation of how this evil transformation occurred. How you were fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How were you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. It's clear from this passage that it was pride and jealousy that led to Lucifer's downfall. He wanted everything for himself. He turned away from God's way of love to his own selfish way that became hatred. That is chapter 1 of the story of evil and suffering. What's in chapter 2? Well, in this chapter, Lucifer's sin brings evil and suffering on humanity. How? Well, to answer, we must first understand why God gave humanity free will, what philosophers call free moral agency. The Bible says that God's overall goal, His great plan, is to bring many children to glory. And that's our ultimate destiny, 
Our ultimate destiny is to be like Him. God is creating offspring in His image, to be like Him, with a mind like His, that is, free to choose. He doesn't want animals or robots guided by instinct or programming. He wants children. So when God created humanity, He gave us freedom of choice, because He greatly desires children who will freely choose to be like Him. At the same time, God doesn't want us to become as Satan is, purely evil. So he made us mortal, so that those who eventually reject his plan, his way of love, and instead embrace evil, well, they won't suffer or cause others to suffer forever. They'll just die and cease to exist. The wages of sin is death. Not eternal life in hell, just death. Could God prevent all human suffering and people doing evil? Of course he could. But to do that, God would have to take away our free will. He would have to control our thoughts and our actions. He would have to make everyone do the right thing every time. And we wouldn't be free to choose. And that would prevent us from truly becoming like him. Now, back to our story. At the beginning of human life on earth, we find Satan in the form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden. He's already God's enemy by this time. God had placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and he told them that they could have all the food growing in the garden except the fruit from one tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they ate that fruit, God told them, they would die. Satan came, and he said to Eve, in essence, don't believe God. You won't really die. In fact, if you eat that fruit, you'll get smarter. You'll be like God. So eating the forbidden fruit would represent disbelief and disobedience toward God. Not eating the fruit would represent trust and obedience to God. A bad choice or a good choice? Rebellion or respect? They chose freely and foolishly. They ate the forbidden fruit. They chose to believe Satan's lie rather than God's truth. As a result, they had to leave the Garden of Eden and suffering began. Because disobeying God is the root cause of suffering. Disobedience to God is at the heart of all the evil in the world. And finally, Adam and Eve did die, and all their descendants have as well, down to our time. The Bible explains that when Adam and Eve left the garden, a spiritual blindfold covered their understanding, their understanding of the great questions of life. Since our first parents chose not to trust God and not to obey Him, He decided to let them and their descendants, including us, personally learn the results of disobedience. Even people who don't recognize what they're doing are learning that lesson today. So, generation after generation, people, we, do what we think is right, and the results often aren't good. There is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. We make ourselves and each other suffer. We've been hurt by people. We've hurt people, all of us. Our choices lead to suffering. Abuses of all kinds, diseases in ourselves and others, theft, depression, addiction, war, and finally, death. We all die, and hardly anyone understands what it's all about. But for those who believe the Bible and try to live by its teaching, 
as we confront suffering and evil and do our best to resist it and rise above it, we grow to be more like God. He is free to do whatever he wants. Who could stop him? But he has perfect character in the sense of moral strength and integrity. God freely chooses to do only good, and he wants us to develop the same kind of character, that moral strength, to the point that he'll be sure that we will never choose to do evil. Struggling to do good in the face of evil is like an athlete in training, putting on weights, which slow him down, but which make his muscles stronger. An example of this process is found in the life of Abraham. In a very great test, God measured Abraham and his character. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Now, God had already promised Abraham that Isaac was going to be his heir and would have many descendants. And Abraham knew God always keeps his promises. He trusted God even when he didn't understand how the situation would play out. When they arrived at the place where the sacrifice was to occur, which incidentally is the place where Solomon would later build the great temple to God, Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Abraham had faith that God would keep his promises through Isaac. He didn't know exactly what would happen in the next few minutes, but he believed God's promises. So he prepared to obey God's instructions. And of course, God intervened to stop the sacrifice, which was a model of what God himself would later allow, the sacrifice of his son as part of his plan of salvation. But then we read words about the character Abraham had developed. The account says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now I know that you fear God. Abraham had developed godly character to the point that God could be sure he would obey him, even under times of great stress. God wants to reach that point with all of us, where he can say of you and me, now I know that you fear me. You will do the right thing even in the face of great stress, great suffering. Jesus Christ set the ultimate example of being willing to suffer to accomplish the will of God. We earlier quoted part of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, but the verse also says Jesus was perfected or completed by what he suffered. Not that he wasn't morally perfect before, but there is a completion that results from actually having suffered that is different from the perfection of just being willing to suffer. This is a big part of God's plan and his purpose for our lives. That's why we're here, to develop his kind of character. That's a big reason why God is temporarily allowing evil and suffering now. That's chapter two in the story. Humanity is learning that life lived apart from God in ignorance leads to evil and suffering. But those who live as Christians receiving God's help can grow stronger in the struggle against evil. They develop a character like that of their father in heaven. Now, the really good part. 
Chapter 3, The End of the Story Bible prophecy states that humanity will come to the brink of destroying itself completely, but God will intervene, sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from ourselves and to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Several prophecies show He will restore the earth to a condition very like the Garden of Eden. The Bible also talks about three resurrections of the dead. One will come at the return of Christ, a resurrection to eternal life for those who belong to God now. There will be a resurrection to eternal destruction for those who have refused to repent of their sins. But there's also another resurrection for those who lived and died without ever knowing God. And that's most of the people who've ever lived. Those who never knew God will be resurrected and have their chance to do so. Jesus prophesied all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Everyone will be resurrected. At the time of that resurrection, Satan, the adversary, will be imprisoned so that he can't deceive people any longer. The spiritual blindfold that keeps people from clearly seeing God will fall away. Their sins will be forgiven, which will open the door to an eternal afterlife among the children of God, what the Bible calls the kingdom of God. And then God promises that evil and suffering will be over forever. They won't ever happen again. One of my favorite verses in the Bible promises, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. God promises that once we've learned what we need to learn, once we've grown to be like him in character, all suffering will cease. So that's the story in three chapters. There was a time when evil and suffering didn't exist. Now they do, for a few thousand years, to teach us to choose wisely until God puts an end to them once and for all. A fuller treatment of why God allows evil and suffering can be found in our booklets, Why Does God Allow Evil and Suffering? and Finding Hope in a Hopeless World. Please do read them on our website, Life Open Truth. Why doesn't God do something? He is doing something. He's working out a magnificent master plan to bring many children to glory in his family. And you are among them. That is the best news ever. We hope understanding this story gives you hope for the future. It should. For Life, Hope, and Truth, I'm Joel Meeker reminding you there is a better world ahead. Thank you.